Well, good morning, New Day. Thanks so much for being here with us in person and online as we continue our current teaching series called Christ the King, where if you're new, we're studying the gospel according to Matthew. Our text today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. And in these verses, we see the king's teaching on revenge. Matthew wrote his gospel to reveal Jesus as the very great king that God promised to send into the world. And in our passage today, we see the king's teaching on revenge. Now, I'd like to recommend that you don't do something that I did after hearing the topic. When I first heard the topic, I was kind of thinking, great, finally a week where, you know, I'm doing okay on this topic. Normally, whatever the week is, I feel pretty beat up as I'm studying it, as I see how short I fall. And then when I read that we're kind of talking about revenge, and and that's what the theme of this passage is, I thought, finally, I, I get a week off, so to speak. Well, let me tell you. After studying the passage deeply, uh, I became aware that this week was going to be just like all the other weeks where I realized how short I fell uh, by the standard of God's word. I realized as I began studying the passage that all my favorite movies, they're all revenge movies. Anybody else out there? Any, all two of you? That's awesome. The rest of you are liars in church. All my favorite movies are revenge movies. I'll list just one, but The Count of Monte Cristo, I love that movie. In the movie, there's this uh, guy named Edmund, and he's a pretty good guy, but his best friend betrays him, sends him to prison when he doesn't deserve to go, and then steals his girl. And the entire movie is about Edmund plotting revenge. And the whole time throughout the movie, I'm at the edge of my seat just going, get him, get him, get him. And when he finally does at the end, like, I am cheering more than anyone. (laughs) Now, the reality is we all have an inner Edmund, and he comes out at different times. For me, it's when I'm driving. (laughs) When someone pulls up on me and gets right up on my tail on the highway, even though I'm already going a couple miles an hour over the speed limit, I mean, it just irritates me to no end. So you know what I do to get him back? I slow down. (laughs) And I like to think that this is what Jesus would do, but after studying (laughs) my passage, I don't think it is. But I not only slow down, if I'm going to be candid from the pulpit here, and, you know, this confession's good for the soul, it's bad for the reputation, but (laughs) I don't just slow down. When they try to then pass me, guess what I do? Speed back up. (laughs) And I could go on and on and on. But long story short, my realization after studying the passage was, okay, I've got some work to do in this area here, and I'm working to bring my life in conformity with the standard of the Word of God. And that's my hope and prayer for every single one of us this week, that we'll listen to what the Word of God says, and that we, by God's grace, will bring our lives in conformity with God's word. All right, let's look at God's word. Again, this is a teaching on revenge. Let me read you our passage that we're studying today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. Uh, Listen and pay close attention because never uh, has a passage been more understood in all the Bible than this one. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. 
And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Again, one of the most misunderstood passages in all the Bible. Um, If there ever was a day where it would be beneficial to pull out your lesson notes, uh, jot down some things along the way, uh, it'll help you to bring some understanding to this oft uh, misunderstood passage. Here we go. If you're taking notes, the first thing that we see in our text is what we're going to call the law of Moses. And friends, we see this in verse 38, where Jesus states the law of Moses. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And here what Jesus does is he pulls out a principle in the Old Testament that we commonly refer to as the principle of proportionate justice, which required that punishment exactly matches the crime. This is found in Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 to 25. The punishment must match the injury. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. Friends, this law is found in Exodus chapter 21. And that's important for us to properly understand the verse. Because in Exodus 21, as well as the surrounding chapters, God is giving his instructions to the judges of Israel who would rule over the civil courts. And God gave this legislation to guide the judges in court so that the individual citizens of the nation of Israel would not seek personal revenge. They could go to the court and get justice instead of seeking personal revenge. And the reason God wanted the judges of Israel to handle this versus the individual citizens of the nation is because of the sinful human tendency that we all have to seek retribution that is greater than the offense. We seek a pound of flesh for every ounce of offense. Like the woman I read about in the news yesterday, 22-year-old woman in Florida. She went through the drive-thru at McDonald's, and they got her order wrong. So instead of just saying, you got my order wrong, you know, give me my money back or fix the situation, she got out of her car, left the car there at the ordering window, went into the store, and just started knocking stuff over everywhere, throwing the cups. She went behind the counter and just went apoplectic, you know? I mean, it was just unbelievable, but that's human nature to seek reprisal beyond whatever the offense was. And that's why God mandated that the judges would handle retribution for offenses. And the law was the punishment must meet uh, the crime. Now, there's a lot that we could say about this law, an eye for an eye. I mean, it was a just law because it matched punishment to the crime. It was a merciful law because it limited the tendency to seek retribution beyond what an offense deserved. And it was a beneficial law in that it protected society by deterring criminals from committing crime because whatever crime they would commit, it would be done back to them. But of all there is to know about this law, the number one thing is this. It was given to prevent individuals from seeking revenge. So we see the law of Moses. This is what God expected the people to do. Leave 
justice to the court. Never seek personal revenge. But we have to ask ourselves, was this what was happening in the nation? And the answer is a resounding no. Were the Israelites following the rules that God set forth for them to follow? Absolutely not. And this leads nicely to the second thing that we see in our text, which we're going to call the law of Israel. There was the law of Moses, and that's what God actually required of the people. But then there was the law of Israel, what was taking place, practically speaking, in the nation. And what God required and what they were doing, these were just two very different things. In everyday life, the people were seeking revenge. Each person became judge, jury, executioner. They had taken God's law, an eye for an eye, legislation intended to prevent personal revenge, and they began using it as their proof text for revenge. Someone got me, I'm going to get them back. And it's okay because I'm just doing just like God's word says, eye for an eye. Now, friends, they really had no excuse for twisting and perverting God's word as they did. Because if they went ahead and read all that God requires, instead of just looking for some proof text to justify their ungodly behavior, they quickly would have concluded that God would never have allowed personal revenge. For example, take a look. In Leviticus 19, God instructed, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Far from seeking revenge on those who had wronged them, here's what God told the Israelites. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. And if they're thirsty, give them water to drink. And God said that in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads and the Lord will reward you. Friends, God strictly forbid revenge, instructing them, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. So again, God wanted retribution for offense to be handled in the court. He never allowed for, never mind commanded, personal revenge. But this is exactly what was taking place throughout the nation. And because of this, Jesus comes along and in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38, and then in the first part of 39 says this, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you. Now, Jesus is not about to give a brand new command. He's not about to teach something different than what God shared with the nation through his prophet Moses. When he says, but I say to you, he's not giving some new instruction. No, he's going to help them to understand the instruction that had always been there. He just wants them to properly understand it. And this leads beautifully into the third thing we see in our text, which we're going to call the law of Jesus. So there was the law of Moses, what God expected. There was the law of Israel, what the people were actually doing. And now we see the law of Jesus, where Jesus teaches them the proper understanding of what God gave them in the Old Testament. And we see this law of Jesus in verse 39. And here is the law. Jesus says, do not resist the one who is evil. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now, friends, the one who is evil is simply the one who has wronged you. And when Jesus says, do not resist the one who has wronged you, all he's saying is this, do not seek revenge. Do not retaliate. 
Do not begin a feud by taking justice into your own hands. If you need to take someone to court for a wrong that they've committed against you, that's okay. You can take them to court. You can just never take revenge. What Jesus is teaching here in verse 39 is only exactly what the Apostle Paul later teaches in Romans 12. Paul said, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, like meaning to the contrary of taking revenge, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. That is, you'll make him feel ashamed of his behavior. Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you've been wrong, that's why the courts exist. And you may need to avail yourself to a judge or a jury in order to get justice. But as far as how we're to personally respond to offenses, we're never to take matters into our own hands, and we are to seek peace between us and the one who has wronged us by showing God's loving kindness to that person, no matter how unworthy they may be to receive it. And this is not a new command. It's an old one. Jesus is just reiterating what was plainly taught in the Old Testament. And having done that, Having reiterated God's standard of you shall not seek personal revenge, Jesus now goes ahead and gives them four different instances where they're going to be tempted to retaliate, to seek revenge, or to respond spitefully. And friends, I bring up these four examples that Jesus shared with his audience because these are the four different categories uh, where you and I today will be tempted to seek revenge, to retaliate, and to respond spitefully. So let's look at the first of the four examples. The first example that Jesus gives relates to insults, insults. And we see this in verse 39, where Jesus says this, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Friends, I'm so glad I get to explain this verse to you, because it's never been more misunderstood. Some people think that this verse means that if someone is beating the tar out of you, the godly thing to do is just go ahead and offer him some other part of your body to beat on. But friends, that is nonsensical. And Jesus does not teach nonsense. If someone's beaten the tar out of you, you are well within your God-given purview to go ahead and defend yourself. And if someone's beaten on someone you love, it's not just okay to go ahead and defend them. It is your Christian duty to go ahead and defend them. But all that's neither here nor there because this is not at all what Jesus is talking about. In Jesus' day, if you wanted to insult someone in the gravest way, you would slap them in the face. It would be a backhanded slap to the face. And the backhanded slap to the face was not intended to injure. It was intended to insult. So when Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, he's just referring to a right-handed person giving the customary backhanded slap across 
the face, which was so insulting. It's like this. I was reading recently how from the Renaissance period until the end of the 1800s, upper class men in Europe would often settle their disputes via dueling. And if you were uh, offended by someone and you wanted to enter into a duel, you would take off your gloves and you would walk up to that person and you'd slap them across the face. And then the, uh, they were obligated to go ahead and defend their honor by accepting the duel with you. Well, this is what Jesus is talking about. An insult that serves as an affront to your honor. So what Jesus is saying then is this, when people insult you, you're going to be tempted to retaliate. You're going to be tempted to seek revenge. But he says, don't do it. And this is what is meant by turn to them the other cheek. In other words, go ahead and open yourself up to a a second insult uh, versus retaliating. And friends, what Jesus preaches, uh, Jesus practices. Jesus set the example And what he teaches us to do. Take a look at what the Apostle Peter says of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, Jesus did not retaliate when he was insulted. Nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. So the first category of life that we're going to be tempted to retaliate in, it relates to uh, insults. Jesus says don't do it. Instead respond with the loving kindness of God. Open yourself up to more insults versus going ahead and retaliating. All right, the second example that Jesus gives of when we're going to be tempted to retaliate and seek revenge and respond spitefully uh, relates to injustices. So number one, insults. Number two, injustices. And, And we see this in verse 40 where Jesus says, If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now we have to keep in mind That in verse 39, each of the four examples relates to being wronged. According to verse 39, each of these four examples relates to being wronged or or to feeling as though you've been wronged. So in light of that, we have to interpret this situation of being in court as some type of injustice. Like when you're sued and you wrongfully have to go ahead and make a payment. Which in those days, if you had no cash, you would go ahead and pay with your clothing. Hence the reference to the tunic and the cloak. But Jesus says this, even in the situation of injustice, when you're not not receiving justice in the courts, you're still not justified in seeking revenge. Some people might say, I couldn't get justice in court, so you know what? I'm going to go ahead and get it for myself. Jesus says no. And again, I would remind you that Jesus himself was in court and did not receive justice. But did he retaliate? No. Take a look at Jesus' example that we read about again in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, Jesus left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. We read the same thing in Romans 12, where Paul instructs, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, we are to seek justice. If we need to go to court, we go ahead and go to court. 
But should we ever be denied justice, we are still not justified in retaliating and seeking revenge. What Jesus instructs is this, do more than the judge has even required. Even though you're wrong and you have a certain sentence, he says, go ahead and you have to give this person your shirt. He says, well, go ahead and give them your coat too. In other words, show them the loving kindness of God. Do not retaliate, but respond by showing the loving kindness of God. And friends, this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. When we hear something like this, we say, but that's so unfair. They don't deserve it. To which the Christian says, well, we don't deserve the love and kindness of God who sent Jesus to die in our place for our sins, even when we were his enemy living in sinful rebellion against him. So God expects us to show his loving kindness to others because that's the very thing that he's done with us. So number two, injustices. The third example Jesus gives relates now to inconveniences. This is the third area in which we'll be tempted to be revengeful, to be spiteful. And we see this in verse 41, where where Jesus says this, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now to understand this, we have to understand that during the first century, during the time of Christ, Uh, Israel was occupied by Rome. And Rome had granted the authority to their soldiers to go ahead and demand of an Israelite uh, that he or she carry their backpack for a Roman mile, which was just a touch shorter than our mile is today, uh, but was still a good distance. And this was such an inconvenience. And it was something the Israelites deeply resented. And let me tell you, when they went ahead and performed their obligatory uh, Roman mile, they let the soldiers know it. Oh, they wouldn't refuse because the way that the Roman soldier would actually ask for help is this. He would place his spear that had a double-edged blade on the end. He would put it on the shoulder and say, Rome requires you to carry my stuff for one mile. And the implication was this, and if you don't, that's what the double-edged blade on the end of my spear is for, that being on your shoulder is right next to your throat. Also, the Jews would comply, believe me, they would comply. They didn't want to die over it, but they would just do it spitefully. I imagine Israelites saying, oh, here's his canteen, he's not looking, let me throw that away in a bush, you know, and... And even if they didn't do that for fear of, you know, reprisal, man, they were counting the steps. Oh, it's 5,000 steps? Well, here we go. 5,000, and now I stop. I'm not going one step further than what the law requires. I mean, they would just shoot daggers with their eyes since they couldn't do it in reality. And they just, they were spiteful. They did it with a terrible uh, attitude. Uh, It's like a teenager being told, clean your room. You know, they're going to (laughs) comply, but they're going to do it spitefully with a bad attitude, with resentment, so on and so forth. And to people who would normally respond this way, Jesus comes along and says something so incredibly radical. He says, when they ask you to do that, happily comply. And don't just do the bare minimum of what's expected of you. If they say, I need you to go one mile, say, oh, hey, don't worry about it. I'll I'll actually go two. In other words, instead of retaliating and responding spitefully, they were to show the loving kindness of God to that Roman soldier. All right, here's the fourth and final example Jesus gives of when we'll be tempted to respond spitefully. And this last example relates to impositions. Impositions. 
And we see this in verse 42, where Jesus says this, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, many people, many believers, in fact, refuse to help the poor because they view all poverty as the result of people being lazy and not wanting to work. So when they are asked to help the poor, they get resentful on the inside and they respond spitefully by refusing to help. But the person who spitefully turns down all requests to help the poor has failed to realize that in the Bible, there's two different categories of poverty. There's the legitimate poor, referring to those who are poor because of exploitation or because of a physical or mental disability or or who are victims of famine or natural disaster or war or those suffering religious persecution or who have no one to take care of them because they're either too young or they're too old. And in the Bible, these are the legitimate poor. Okay, but then there's the illegitimate poor. People who are poor because of their refusal to work or people who are poor because they do work, but they foolishly squander and mismanage every dime they earn. And friends, those are the illegitimate poor. Now, the Bible actually teaches concerning the illegitimate poor, we are to actually practice tough love. If you don't work, the apostle Paul said, you don't eat. So if someone is illegitimately poor and they're coming to you asking for help, the biblical response is actually to respond with tough love. We want them to feel the pain of being hungry, feel the pain of not working, feel the pain of uh, mismanaging their money. And it's because of the pain that they will learn to no longer behave uh, in that way. But concerning the legitimate poor, the Bible teaches that we're supposed to help And we're not supposed to resent it or be spiteful about it when we do. Here was the law that God laid down in Israel. And friends, Jesus says, give to the one who asked and don't turn away from the one. All he's doing is summarizing this passage here in Deuteronomy 15. Take a look. God commanded the Israelites through his prophet Moses. But if there's any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor, and that's why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. So Moses here was not talking about helping someone uh, by giving them money when they don't want to work. Nor is he talking about just giving money to someone because they've mismanaged whatever money they've earned from their work. No, he's talking about the legitimate poor. He's talking about uh, people who are not able-bodied, people who are not able-minded. He's talking about people in genuine need, widows and orphans, victims of tragedy and the like. He's not talking about able-bodied, able-minded men begging at the stoplight or under the bridge. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about helping the legitimate poor. 
And God says, when you have requests from people who are legitimately poor, do not view such requests as an imposition, rather view it as an opportunity to show the loving kindness of God. So friends, do you see it in all four examples? We do not retaliate. Instead, we respond with the loving kindness of God. Friends, on this side of eternity, there are going to be times when we're going to feel wronged through inconveniences and impositions. And there's going to be times where we're actually going to be wronged through insults and injustices. So, so whether we just feel wronged or we are actually wronged, like on this side of eternity, it is going to happen. That's just life here on earth. And God wants us to know how to respond when we are wronged. He wants us to know how to respond when we are hurt. When we respond with vengeance, with trying to get even, with spiteful retaliation, you know what we do to the fire of conflict? We pour a bucket of gasoline on it. And we make the world a worse place to live in by multiplying the number of angry people in the world. Conversely, when we respond with the love and kindness of God, you know what we do to the fire of conflict? We pour a big old bucket of water on it, making the world a better place by extinguishing the raging anger that exists in so many people. Friends, it's bad enough when we've been injured literally or figuratively by some offense, but why go ahead and make the situation even worse by responding with revenge, by responding poorly, by responding in a way other than how God instructs? Oh, we may relish getting revenge like I do on the highway. But friends, the reality is vengeance is God's domain and he will repay, which is why we can let it go even if we're denied justice in the court. We can let it go and instead respond with the same loving kindness that God has showered upon us through Christ. Now, what I want you to see today is this. When we respond as Christ commands, with God's loving kindness instead of with vengeance, what I want you to understand is that there's a benefit to you and to the person who's wronged you. Let's begin with the person who's wronged you. What's the benefit to them? Well, friends, oftentimes when we shower an enemy with God's love and kindness, we make them feel ashamed of their behavior and we go ahead and put an end to the conflict. That's what it means to uh, heap burning coals upon one's head. It's a way to, you make them feel ashamed of their poor treatment of you. And not every time, but oftentimes, Responding with God's love and kindness, it just puts an end to it. They feel so ashamed, they stop the behavior, and even if you're not BFFs, at least the animosity and the rancor has stopped. And when you respond to an enemy with God's love and kindness, it often opens up the door uh, for a witnessing opportunity. I mean, imagine the Roman soldier who's used to compliance with rancor, and then he comes across you. And he says, I need you to carry my pack. And he's expecting the spite. He's expecting the, the daggers with the eyes. He's expecting his water bottle to go missing. But after one mile, as you comply with a good attitude, he says, all right, your obligation's up. And you say, oh, no, I'm actually going to go another mile. And the Roman soldier's like, who in the world is this person? And as they walk along, the Roman soldier says, why would you do this? 
No one ever does this for me. Why are you being kind? And he says, oh, it's just what my God commands. And he says, well, why don't you tell me about your God? We've got another mile yet to go. You see, it opens up witnessing opportunities. But there's not just a benefit to your enemy when you respond to a wrong with God's love and kindness. There's also a wonderful benefit to you and to me. You see, when we're wronged, when we're hurt, man, bitterness can just fill up in our heart. And it honestly is a poison to the soul. And many people walk through life just carrying that poison on the inside. Oh, here's how I was wronged. I'm just so angry about it. Here's how people have done me wrong. I'm so resentful. I'm so bitter. And they just become a poisoned person. These are usually people who are very unpleasant to be around because they're just stewing with anger all the time. And looking from the outside, you're just like, oh, I can see it's eating them up. And it's just, it's destroying them from the inside out. Well, you know what God's antidote is to the poison of bitterness that can stew in our hearts? It's kindness. When we go ahead and shower an enemy with God's love and kindness, when we've been wronged by someone and we respond instead of with retaliation, with, with God's loving kindness, it purifies the bitterness right out of our heart. And it sets us free. We're going to talk more about that next week, actually. Because this week in these verses, we've been talking about the negative. We are not to respond with revenge. Next week, we're going to talk about the positive. We are to respond with love. So more on this next week. But friends, when we respond with God's love and kindness, we fulfill Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you prevent that bitterness from ruining you from the inside out? You overcome evil with good. You shower God's love and kindness on those who do not deserve it because God has showered his love and kindness on those who don't deserve it, namely you and me. It's a better way. It's a better way. Why live with poison in your body? Turn the hurt over to God. Trust him for justice if you can't get it in the courts. And instead of being vengeful, be kind. And God will just filter that bitter poison of resentment right out of your body. Now, friends, I realize that this is such a radical way to live. Like, I get that. I totally get it. But, friends, this is the way of the kingdom. Jesus is that great king that God promised to send into the world. And King Jesus says, if you are a citizen in my kingdom, this is how I expect you to live. This is how I expect you to live. Go ahead and pull over into that right lane. Don't slow down. Someone insults you, don't insult them back. Be kind to them? What? It's the most unnatural thing we could ever think of doing. But Jesus says, why don't you just trust me by faith? Go ahead and live the way that I command and go ahead and watch what it does in your life. And if you want to sign up for that challenge today, it'd be my great privilege to pray with you. And we're going to do that in just a moment, right before we do. Let me say this. Some of you, Jesus is not your king. He's not your king. He desires to be, but right now he's not because you haven't asked him to. You haven't asked him to be your king. And so right now you've been going out, living life the way everyone else lives it, the way people outside the community of faith live it. You're a tit-for-tat kind of person. 
You're a quid pro quo kind of person. You're a lex talionis kind of person. Someone wrongs you, you wrong them back. Someone gets you, you get them back. Someone does something to you, you make it your mission to get even. And I know one thing about you, whether I know you personally or not, you've got a string of broken relationships along your path. And you've got a lot of hurt and pain in your life. Now that's sad, that's tragic. That's the bad news. The good news is this, you don't have to keep living like that. Jesus has a better way. And even though you've been reaping what you've sown and you've got all this destruction in your wake, you can, from this day forward, begin doing it different. You can try showing kindness. But friends, you can't do it in your own strength, in your own power. You need God to empower you to do that. And that's the very thing he does when we get right with him by asking Jesus to forgive our sins. I invite you today into a better way. Whether you're here in person, whether you're joining us online, I'm inviting you today to a better way to live. And if you want to, ask Jesus to forgive us, to forgive you of your sins and to teach you to live as the king requires. If you want to do that, would you pray with me? Wherever you are, bow your head, close your eyes and say this to God in your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm guilty of revenge. Oh, dear God, over the last few weeks, if I've learned anything, it's that I am guilty of sin. And God, I've fallen short in this area that we're talking about today, in the area of revenge. So God, I'm asking today, would you forgive me of my sins? Forgive me of all my other sins as well, outside of revenge. I've committed many others, but God, all of them I'm asking, cleanse me, forgive me. And thank you that that's made possible by Jesus. Thank you that because of his death on the cross, I can be forgiven. God, come into my life. Today, I'm choosing to appoint Jesus as king. I want to do life his way, no longer my own way. I'm tired of the destruction that's reaped as I, in my arrogance, think I know a better way to live than you. So God, I repent of that arrogance. I repent of that pride. I repent of that uh, hubris, God, that would say, I know better than you. And God, today I'm just asking, forgive me. Come into my life. And God, with your help, I'm going to live surrendered to your will. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this Sermon on the Mount through which he teaches us uh, a better way to live. It's the way of the kingdom, and God, it's what I want. Help me, I pray. Help me to respond with love and kindness instead of revenge. I know it seems impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. So I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.